Today on the show, we're talking about the best of the Greeks, Brad Pitt himself. Welcome to Law Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Avery. And my name's Abu. And Avery, we're talking about a game that's very near and dear to both of our hearts today, I think. Would you agree? Yeah, part of me wanted to be like, I'm Avery. I'm, you know, the resident Achilles fan. (laughs) I kind of want (laughs) to claim that for myself. But I mean, if we can fight it out if you want to. No, 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 no. You you take that crown. I mean, you're the one who has the dog named Achilles. I, I know, that's you know, why I feel I can't like I can there. claim it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely your crown. You wear it well. Today, though, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the video game Hades and the character Achilles. Unfortunately, we won't be talking about your dog as much as I want to. <laughs> and what we're actually getting into today, this should be a fun conversation because... You and I obviously love Hades. I'm a big Supergiant Games fan. Have you played their other titles as well? Are you a fan? I haven't. No, Hades is the only one that I've played so far. I am planning on playing the other ones, but so far it's just this one has me hooked. Yeah, well, I highly recommend you check them out. I have played every single Supergiant Games title, and they are all the same level of quality as Hades. In today's discussion, I think what we're going to be focusing mostly on is exploring how Supergiant Games took the Greek mythology that underpins a lot of the characters and stories within the game and sort of brings them into the modern world by adding a lot of diversity and representation within its characters and stories in ways that are admirable, but as we'll discuss later, do fall short in some ways as well. So in today's episode, we're kind of going to be starting with two of our favorite characters in the game, which, as I'm sure you're aware of now, is Achilles and Patroclus, or Patroclus, as I guess like you guys <laughs> pronounce it. I'm going to be that heathen who comes along and is like, Patroclus. Like, it's the most awkward-sounding <laughs> name ever. Um, but we're going to kind of look at, yeah, Achilles and Patroclus, and we're going to use that to kind of lead us into looking at some of the other great examples of inclusion and diversity within Supergiant's um, Hades. Right. But then we're also going to look a little bit at where we think they maybe could have done a little bit better or taken there's really great inclusion and diversity just that little bit further. For sure, for sure. It should be a fun discussion, but I think before we get too ahead of ourselves and get too excited about this conversation, we got to take care of some housekeeping. So for our listeners, a quick reminder that we love to hear from you. Send us your ideas, send us your thoughts, send us your Hades love. If you love this game as much as we do, share that with us. You can get in touch at podcast at loreparty.com. Of course, you can also connect with us on Instagram and Twitter and Twitch at lore underscore party. So those are 
a couple of great ways to keep in touch with the show and stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. With that housekeeping out of the way, we're going to quickly talk about why we picked this topic to focus on in our episode today. Obviously, we've already touched upon so much of how much we love this uh, within the first few minutes, but just to kind of get a little bit specific for a moment, I mean, as I said, I hadn't played any Supergiant games before, and in fact, when everyone started talking about Hades um, and people were talking about how it's like this roguelike game, that actually kind of put me off at first. Like, I'm not super fan of roguelike games. I hadn't really played anything like that before. And the playthroughs I'd seen of, like, the actual fighting, I was like, oh, my God, that looks a bit intense. And I don't know if I would enjoy it. But it was really, like, this focus on the diversity and people going, oh, my God, like, they have, like, queer romances and they have black characters and look at all of this amazing character design. And I was like, hell yes, I want to play this. So I think, yeah, for me, it's really that, you know, diversity and inclusion that brought me to the game and that I think personally is part of why it's brought so many new fans to Supergiant and also made Hades as massively successful as it has been. I couldn't agree more. It was a very similar draw for me. I too don't like rogue-like games or roguelite games. That's just not a genre <laughs> that I play or enjoy often. And so at first, very similar to you, I was very turned off by the game. I was like, mm. eh, I love Supergiant games, but maybe this is the one I'll pass on. It, does, it just doesn't look like it's for me. But just like you, I was drawn to the unique way they interpreted Greek myths, to the characters, to the very obvious love and attention given to the story and to the characters and the voice work and the writing. And so I decided to give the game a chance. And here we are talking about it. So clearly it worked out for the best. <laughs> yeah. And I think coming into joining the Law Party team, I was just like, absolutely, yes, I want to talk about Hades. Like, I love Greek mythology. I love the game. Everything about it to me is just, yeah, chef's kiss. Perfect. Yes. Um, so I'm very, very excited for us to have this conversation. First, we are going to have a super quick break, and then we're going to dive straight in. So stick around. Welcome back, folks. Avery, let's dive in. We want to start off today by talking about two of our favorite characters from the game and for me personally, from all of Greek myth, actually. A lot of great characters in Greek myth. Achilles and Patroclus, two of the best. What's interesting and what sort of sets up this discussion about Hades today is their story has been adapted in many different ways. Oftentimes they're close comrades or they're friends or they have like a mentor-mentee relationship, some sort of brotherly bond. And obviously the way it's depicted in Hades and some other modern adaptations as lovers as well. Uh, I know you haven't seen Troy. I have unfortunately seen Troy <laughs> probably one too many times, but that is a very famous adaptation of the story in which Patroclus is just like a very close friend and student of Achilles, which stands in contrast to other adaptations where they are actual lovers. 
Yeah, and I think even within something like Greek mythology, even, you know, outside of Achilles and Patroclus, there are just so many of these different interpretations that we started getting over the last few years, really, which are looking at people like Circe, which are looking at feminist retellings, which are looking at different yeah. Greek mythological figures that we maybe haven't really heard of as much. And as a child who was like fully in love with Greek mythology and as an adult who still has that, I'm like, yes, I am living for all of this. I am in my best time <laughs> of all of this representation and just actually beginning to delve into the kind of original texts, I guess, is something that I had never really been interested in until I started to develop this interest in things like you know, the Song of Achilles and the game Hades and just actually yeah. going back to things like the Odyssey and the Iliad and trying to work out, like, how were they originally depicted? Because I wasn't taught that. Or if I was, I forgot it. It was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that segues nicely because before we talk about Achilles and Patroclus in the game, I think it's important context to kind of look at the source text, to look at the Iliad and look at the historical representations of them, because the way Supergiant took it is both unique in some ways, but also like totally makes sense and aligns with how they were originally represented. Uh, I went ahead and did some history research, and to very quickly go over it, this is a very basic understanding, and we're not going to dive deep into the Iliad by Homer <laughs> today, but... In the original text, Homer didn't exactly make their relationship super, super clear. He didn't exactly spell it out in modern terms. Uh, and I, I wrote in our script, like, there is no scene in the Iliad where Achilles asks Patroclus to be his boyfriend Love Island style, right? Like, <laughs> there's not, like, modern labels put on it in Homer's original work, obviously. And from my research, I pulled this really great quote from the British Museum that I wanted to share. So th this is what it says on their site about the Iliad. Quote, in Homer's Iliad, Achilles describes Patroclus as the man I loved beyond all other comrades, loved as my own life. Although Homer doesn't explicitly cast them as lovers, their intimate relationship is crucial to the plot of the Iliad. And in other works of ancient literature, the relationship between the two men is more explicitly referenced as a love affair. And then the British Museum's site like goes on to explain that actually this sort of like intimate romance wasn't all that unusual in Greek culture, which makes it even harder to put modern relationship labels on it. So that's a little bit of historical context there that I think is important as we discuss these two characters from Hades the Game and other works. Yeah, and I think just kind of bouncing off of that and adding a little bit of that kind of initial context which prefaces Supergiant's Hades, I had read back when it was first published, uh, The Song of Achilles by Madeline yes. Miller. Oh my god, when Abus <laughs> told me he was reading this, I was like, get ready to have your heart wrecked like uh, wrenched out of yeah. your chest and stomped all over but you're gonna love every second of the pain <laughs> i did i did i very recently read it like last month 
yeah, is one of the most impactful stories I've ever read that has really stayed with me. And I think part of that was because although I had loved Greek mythology for a really long time and I had some understanding, very basic understanding of, you know, that there were various forms of queer romances, if we want to use that term, within ancient Greece, it had never been explicitly depicted for me in that way. And so when I mm-hmm. read it, as a queer person, I was kind of like, oh my God, like this is not a new thing. We have yeah. always been here. The difference is that for a really long time, history and media have ignored us and pretended like we weren't here. So actually having the Song of Achilles really bring Achilles and Patroclus's relationship to the forefront was incredibly important. Um, and then I also watched them um, just a just to throw some more examples out there in case anyone's listening and is like, yes, I want more of this. There was also a BBC adaptation called Troy Fall of a City, which again, absolutely incredible in 2018. It's a very short series. Again, it depicts Achilles and Patroclus' relationship. Not only are Achilles and Patroclus seen in a relationship with each other, they were both cast as black men which is absolutely unheard of, not only to have Achilles and Patroclus as black men, but to have two black men in that relationship with each other. And on top of that, it depicted their relationship with, um, I say Bryces, I know some people pronounce the name differently. It depicted their relationship almost as kind of like a triad Um, So it also represents a sexual relationship between two black men and a white woman. Then in 2018, Supergiant's Hades comes out. And again in 2018, we also had the publication of a book called The Silence of the Girls, which again is looking at Achilles' relationship with Bryce's from Bryce's perspective. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have all of these different things coming out in a very short space of time. And for me, obviously, this is a personal interpretation. I feel like the Song of Achilles really opened up that space to actually go, look, this was more than them being comrades. This was more than them just being brothers. Like Abu said with that British Museum quote, like the man I loved beyond all other comrades. Like, so that is so deep. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that about any of my my guy friends, to be honest, you know, like as much as I love all of them. This is when I, they're going to listen. Above all others is a bit extreme, you know, like I that, mean, they're going to listen to it and be like, hey, man, you don't feel like that about me. I'm not the love of your life. What a way for me to find out. <laughs> right, right. Sorry, Jim, but you're not. <laughs> but let's actually... Talk about Supergiant Games and Hades, because you listed a number of adaptations of this story that have unique twists on it, many of which I've never heard of, so I clearly have some homework to do. But Supergiant Games also had their twist on it as well, while I think drawing from a lot of these interpretations. They kept that romantic relationship, for example, between Achilles and Patroclus. Patroclus is also dark-skinned in the game. 
So there's definitely some inspirations they're drawing from and their own interpretations on it. So I think it's worth spending a little bit talking about these two characters within the context of the game itself, too. There's some cool codex entries and their story is kind of tragic and heartbreaking. It's all great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, you know, Supergiant could have made the decision where they didn't represent their relationship as something which is romantic. But as we're going to kind of unpack a little bit, not only is it kind of represented in the codex entries and you kind of find things out as you go, but as we're going to see similarly actually to the Iliad, Achilles and Patroclus's story within Supergiant's Hades is inextricably linked. Their story is about their relationship together. And I yes. think that's really important. Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Let's actually talk about it. Let's talk about their story a bit. As a refresher, you come across Patroclus in the game once you reach the Elysium level. And as you strengthen your bond, both with Patroclus in Elysium and with Achilles, who of course is in the house of Hades and is responsible for training you as Agrius, you start to learn about not only their relationship, but their current situation too, because they're obviously separated. And as we get to know both of them better, we start to sort of unpack that story of why they are where they are. Yeah, and I think there's this really, like, there's a lot of really profound moments where when I'm playing through them or I watch clips back and I'm just like, oh my God, that hits me straight in the heart. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, there's this really great clip where Zagreus asks Achilles about Patroclus. So, you know, he's trying to find out what's going on there. Patroclus is very reserved, like, he obviously finds it very difficult to talk about Achilles. Similarly with Achilles, he, there are times when Zagreus tries to ask and Achilles kind of rebuffs him in a way of, like, he's not ready to open that. But once he starts to kind of open up a little bit, there's this, you know, really great clip and it says, so, quote, We could not have been closer. The ashes of our bodies yet mingle together somewhere on the surface there. What can I tell you, lad? I loved him with all my heart. And I'm just like, oh, uh, just uh, cry. Uh, <laughs> incredible. Incredible. It's heartbreaking stuff. It is. And even, even here in the underworld, they cannot be together in peace. No. And again, we, we start to unpack some of this because this is something that the two are dealing with. It, it leads to some feelings of resentment and remorse as you get to know them better. Let's quickly touch on some of these codex entries because they reveal a lot about this relationship for us as well. Achilles' codex entry actually makes reference to Patroclus. This is a bit of what it says. Quote, Yet I am unmade, unwhole, here in this place, alone without the one with whom I shared my life when we were flesh and blood. He is somewhere within this realm, Yet our time, I think, is long since past. End quote. Oh my god. <laughs> I love at every point we're just gonna have to take a moment just to go, oh my god, like it right. hurts. Right. After all of these quotes, you just gotta take a breather. It's really heartbreaking to see how Achilles has almost given up here. 
he's he's almost just like i guess this is just it like i'll never be with my love again yeah and i think the strength of that to say like he's unmade and on whole like he's lived his whole life he's achieved all of the greatest feats he is one of the greatest gods that greatest gods great well kind of because he is a demigod <laughs> Greatest yeah. <laughs> Greeks that ever lived, and yet it means nothing when he is separated from Patroclus. Right. All of the glory he earned in his life at this point means nothing without the one that he loves. Yeah. And building on kind of like looking at the code. By the way, if you've been playing Hades and not been looking at the codex entries, oh there is a whole... <laughs> World building, narrative, law, all of it is in these codex entries. So if you have been skipping those, you need to uh, go back and look at those because you get this whole other dimension yes. that isn't necessarily always on the surface of the game. And I think with Patroclus's entry, really interestingly, because, you know, if you aren't aware, the codex entries are written by Achilles. So Patroclus's entry is written by the person who loves him the most and who has all of these feelings, but it's so short. It's a very short mm -hmm. codex entry, and Achilles kind of finds it very difficult to talk about Patroclus. I think, if I remember correctly, he almost says that like he can't even utter Patroclus's name because it causes him so much pain and then the codex entry just descends into achilles being like is it too late should i have made that decision should i risk everything what should i do like he just doesn't know what the right thing is yeah and then he kind of notes that he's sure that patroclus would have drunk from the river and again pronunciation i don't know if it's leith is if it's leithy lethe <laughs> <laughs> However you want to pronounce that, I don't care. But he thinks that Patroclus would have drunk from the river by now, which erases all of the memories. But for the player, we know yeah. when we get to Elysium, Patroclus hasn't drunk from it. He is holding on to all of his memories of Achilles, all the love that he has from him, even though he's so bitter about it. And he's like, maybe I should drink from the river. Maybe I should forget him because he clearly forgot me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They, ha they haven't done it. They haven't forgotten each other. Right. And despite those bitter feelings, neither of them have taken that step to like move on from each other, which mm. is just another testament to how much these two men love each other. In life, they loved each other. And even here now, separated in death, they still cannot stop thinking about each other. But the bitter feelings are still there. And, you know, they're both human. One of them is, I guess, demigod, but they still have human emotion. For example, at one point, when you're walking up to Patroclus, he can often be found sort of mumbling to himself. And here's a little bit of what he can say at one point in the game. Quote, you made the choice, not me. And you prolonged that war when you know just as well as anyone you could have ended it, but you refused. And now I'm here, and you, you're somewhere else. And he trails off, end quote. And to be honest, fair, <laughs> you know, if you know the story of Achilles and Patroclus and how 
Achilles refused to end the Trojan War when he very well could have out of pride and bitterness towards Agamemnon. Yeah, like in Patroclus's shoes, I'd I'd be feeling similarly. Yeah. That when you read that out, I literally started getting like teared up because it's just like, <laughs> oh my god. Luckily though, Hades lets you do something about it. Because once you hit a certain point in building up your relationships with both Patroclus and Achilles, you get to do them a favor. And the favor quest line is basically your attempt to bring these two back together, to reunite them. Yeah, and I think something I kind of touched upon briefly, maybe, I think in a other Hades episode I did with Caleb, is that Zagreus's quests, or favors in this case, are often around reuniting different characters with each other. Uh, yeah. So for Achilles and Patroclus's favor, Zagreus finds a way, or must find a way, to reunite the divided lovers and the prophecy is actually called Divided by Death. So again, it's all about this separation that has occurred and these two characters who clearly love each other very much and you need to find a way to bring them back together. And actually, as you're going about that and you're talking to people and you're reading the codex entries and you're running around the underworld, yeah, the player then learns that actually what has happened, the reason... Patroclus is alone in Elysium is that in order for Patroclus to be given his place in Elysium, Achilles had to agree to work for Hades in the house training Zagreus. Which is an act of love. Which is an act of love. If he hadn't made that agreement, Patroclus would never have made it to Elysium, which I think is highly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he deserves to be there because he was an amazing warrior himself. Yeah, yeah, for real. But Hades is like, no, it's not good enough. Only Achilles is allowed. So Achilles has made this deal. He's brought Patroclus to Elysium. Achilles has been relegated to the house. And so Zagreus learns of this and he's like, okay, is there a way that I can piss my dad off and reunite <laughs> these lovers at the same time. Actually, yes, there is. So to complete the prophecy, Patroclus passes on a message to Achilles through Zagreus, because of course Zagreus is the messenger boy, and he says to Achilles, you know, ask him to risk it all. And Achilles is like, oh, I'm not sure, and I feel really bad, and then he finally gets <laughs> over it, and he's like, okay, Zagreus, look, can you sneak in to your dad's office, find the prophecy and alter it so that Achilles can actually leave the house to go to Elysium to see Patroclus himself. Right. And then once that happens and they become reunited, like, yes, Achilles must still work for Hades, but he then has the freedom to travel back and forth between the house and Elysium for the rest of the game. Sometimes he'll be at the house, sometimes he'll be in Elysium, and they can actually see each other. Yeah, so it's somewhat of a happy ending. I mean, it's all, not all sunshine and daisies, of course, because even once they are reunited and Zagreus completes this favor for them, the two have some mending to do. They have some feelings of bitterness and separation, and 
some baggage from both their mortal lives and from their time here in the underworld to kind of get over and talk through. But at the same time, of course, as we've discussed, they love each other and they can't imagine existing without the other. And so they also have a lot of lost time to catch up on. And you can tell through some of their conversations when they are together in Elysium that they're grateful. Like that they're so immensely grateful for the opportunity to even be reunited in this way, to catch up on that lost time and to slowly mend the relationship that has taken a couple of hits over the years. Yeah. And I think, you know, most <laughs> most of Greek mythology initially is some kind of tragedy. And I do kind of love <laughs> modern interpretations being like but actually, it was a tragedy for a while, <laughs> and then they lived happily ever after, because that's what we all want. <laughs> we don't want yeah. the tragedy. We want the suffering and the pain, but we do of want course. them to be together in the end. Yeah, definitely. I, for one, am glad that Supergiant Games allowed us to build a happy ending or a happier ending for these two. Yeah, absolutely. With Hades, I think Supergiant, like it, they don't just restrict themselves to going, okay, let's do Achilles and Patroclus, and that's like our, that's our diversity. Tick, we did that. Yeah. There are lots of other examples of diversity and representation throughout the games. And again, like as you said, they could have just looked at the source material and gone, yeah, well, that's good enough. But actually, they I really appreciate the fact that they've sat down and they've kind of thought about how does our representation of Greek mythology and these characters add something new? You know, what are we contributing? Right. Because actually, in a way, Hades is contributing to Greek mythology, is expanding the mythology and it's adding things in. And they've done that in a variety of different ways across things like sexuality, across gender, across race. Like there's a lot of yeah. different things that are going on in this game. And I think we wanted to kind of touch on some of those other examples. We're not going to go <laughs> as in-depth <laughs> with it because we were like, we could just talk about Achilles and Patroclus all day. And that's what we want to focus on. Right. But there are other things that are really worth talking about and touching on that maybe players picked up on, maybe they didn't. So we're just going to throw some more examples at you. For sure. And let's start with some of the sexual diversity in the game. We've already talked about one gay relationship, Achilles and Patroclus. But of course, there is another one, which is the Thanatos and Zagreus connection. Uh, and you had actually talked about this with Caleb on the last Hades episode you did as well. I did, yes. As soon as we were like talking about Hades, and that was for the God of Blood episode, so it was looking at Zagreus. And when we were planning that, I was just like, oh man, but Thanatos as well, it's like they're inseparable from each other. Um, and something that I had picked up when I was doing the research, obviously I'm not going to go into this because... If you want to know more about this, you can go and listen to the other episode, which is also really great. Um, nice. Good plug. <laughs> yeah, good plug. Yeah. <laughs> go and listen to all the other really good things that we've done. Um, 
again with the code again codex entries if you didn't read them go and read them Mm-hmm. Achilles makes some really interesting observations and one of the ones that he made about Zagreus and Thanatos which is where this kind of theory came from about Zagreus being the god of blood he comments that Thanatos and Zagreus are inexorably drawn to one another and because of the the relationship between Achilles and Patroclus and that you know their whole story being inextricably linked with one another it hit real hard <laughs> to see Achilles looking at Thanatos and Zagreus, and it's almost like he sees him and Patroclus in them. Right. Just a mirror image of him and Patroclus. Yeah. That's a great point. And that, that's a connection I literally had not made until I saw you write it in our script for today. I was like, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> That blew my mind. I know. I think Uh, that's the thing. It's like the layers in this game. I didn't realize a lot of them until we started researching this episode. And I was like, oh, it goes so much deeper than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Now, of course, Zagreus and Thanatos, that relationship doesn't just stop there because Meg is also a factor. The game actually allows players to romance Thanatos and Megara at the same time time rather than making them pick one right like it isn't a binary between are you quote-unquote straight and you're going with megara are you gay are you are you going to romance thanatos you can romance both of them and there's actually (laughs) there's actually a romance bedroom scene where zagreus will arrive in the bedroom and find both meg Mm -hmm. and thanatos waiting for him there so we see that sexual diversity represented as well, where he isn't just a binary and is forced to pick between these two characters. He can be romantic with one of them or both of them. Yeah. And I think in terms of like personal reactions to this, this was huge actually for me um, because I'm polyamorous and I had never (laughs) encountered this before in a game. I was like, oh my God, yes, I don't have to choose. And I actually put little bit in the script of being like oh yeah you know (laughs) even with games like dragon age you can kind of romance people at the same time but eventually you get to a point where you have to make a choice so for me in dragon age origins i was dating alistair and i thought yeah he's gonna be the one and then he dropped me and i was like fuck you alistair i'm gonna rebound with leliana and zevran and make you really jealous and then eventually Leliana's like, <laughs> I want you to make a decision. And I was like, well, sorry, Zevran. I'm sure he won't care. And he actually gets really upset about it. And Aww. I was like, oh, no, this is why I don't want to have to choose. Because in right. my life, I don't have to choose. Yeah. And I want to be able to do that in my game. So again, having that kind of, almost triad relationship between those three characters hasn't really been done before we also have them offering something else really interesting in terms of relationship diversity with Mm -hmm. the other romance option which is dusa i hadn't personally gone down that avenue and i haven't gone down that avenue of romancing dusa so for me this was a lot of research into what that romance looks like And actually what I discovered is that 
when Zagreus unlocks the romance option with Dusa, she tells Zagreus that she doesn't think that she has a romantic attraction to Zagreus. And Zagreus' response was to say, well, we can, quote, be friends for all of eternity. Oh, my gosh. And that's a form of... That's a form of love in itself, and it's led a lot of fans to identify Dusa as either an asexual and or an aromantic character, and there are so few representations of that in video games. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a beautiful scene. You also had in our script here, Avery... (laughs) 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 Uh, You wrote down as our final example of sexual diversity... Theseus and Asterius, uh, which is a very popular ship in the fan community. Can you actually, can you break that down for me? Because this is something I myself have not come across. I mean, (laughs) even before I started playing Hades, this is what I saw. It was just full of Theseus and Asterius fan art. And so I went into the game like, who is this big bull man? (laughs) Like little Theseus guy and their little gay relationship that they have with each other. Um, (laughs) And... I mean, I think there are certain points in the um, in the game, specifically in those little conversation exchanges that Theseus and Asterius have with each other when you first go into like the Colosseum, I guess it is, where they talk about this very deep bond that they have for each other. You know, they're very close, they're intimate in these particular ways. And I think there are various interpretations you can have, all valid. Yeah. You can interpret them as just having a very brotherly bond. You can interpret them as having a very deep kind of romantic and sexual relationship with each other. Yeah. And both interpretations are valid and I would say canon. It, within the game, they don't say, yeah, Theseus and Asterius are banging. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, think, I think there's enough in it. <laughs> right, right. They they also don't explicitly say that they aren't banging. So you're very you're good point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's quickly touch on our next category here because in addition to the sexual diversity that's on display in the game, there is also some really great representation of gender identities within the game with some of the characters in Hades. To start off, we have chaos kind of the one that immediately for me comes to mind because Mm. chaos is represented as non-binary slash agender they're never prescribed any sort of gender pronoun in any of the dialogue in any of the interactions with chaos or about chaos and even in the codex entry they're referred to Mm. as they Mm -hmm. And, and so that's an example in this game of of a non-binary individual. Something else that you very, very rarely see in other video games out there and even other sort of pop culture. Yeah, I think playing <laughs> playing Hades was just a multitude of experiences of me going, oh my God, oh my God. And when I got to the bit about chaos, when Zagreus is talking to Nyx, And it's actually in the conversation talking about chaos and Nick says, blah, 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 chaos. 
they whatever and i i when i play hades i really like to listen like i read what the conversation is but i really like to listen to the voice actors as they're reading it mhm and nick said they and i got to the end of the bit and before i clicked a to continue i just went wait a second and i right. reread it and i was like they it's they them like they're a non-binary character and i was just like oh my god this is so important to me um because i think although supergiant's very beautiful character art and very amazing voice acting chaos's representation is very ambiguous but i think yeah. they could have still very easily assigned like a binary uh, pronoun to chaos and they didn't they specifically had it as they them and i think for some players they won't pick up on that when they're playing mhm mm but for someone like me who uses they them pronouns it was just like oh my god oh my god someone like me is in this game right so with uh, another character orpheus in the game mhm mm there are interesting i guess nods to gender diversity Personally for me actually when I was playing the game and Orpheus appears in the house of Hades I got very androgynous vibes from Orpheus. Yeah. I didn't also know who Orpheus <laughs> was. So it's like <laughs> who's this character that's just showed up? I didn't know anything about them. And for a while I thought may I think I'd met Chaos by that point. So with Orpheus I was like oh maybe they're another androgynous character. Within the game, Orpheus is referred to with he, him pronouns. His appearance is less, as we would say, like, I guess, typically masculine, like with very big scare quotes that you can't see me doing. Yeah. But for me, again, playing that gave me the kind of nod of like, this is a non-normative person in some mm -hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So I think again we wanted to include that under the topic of gender diversity because gender diversity you might use binary pronouns but that doesn't necessarily cover you know your gender expression or how you present when you move around the world and Orpheus is another type of gender diversity in that way. Yeah, absolutely. The final example we wanted to quickly touch on under gender diversity is once again, Dusa. <laughs> we love Dusa, apparently. <laughs> um, a lot of players have actually speculated that Dusa is transcoded because there is this exchange between Zagreus and Dusa at one point where he tries to ask her about her body because, as we know, she's basically just like a floating Gorgon head and she doesn't explain herself. You know, she she doesn't tell him why she is just a floating head that cleans the house of Hades. And instead, she basically is like, that's that was the old me. That was a previous life. That's not me anymore. That's not me now. And much like Dusa, trans people have to navigate conver conversations like this and be comfortable with explaining that they were a different person back then and they are a different person now. And like Zagreus, we should all simply be understanding about that yeah i really love that and i think also 
like where we've talked a little bit earlier about interpretations being valid is that whilst people might say like oh well it's not canon like yeah she says she doesn't want to talk about who she was before and why she doesn't have a body and there can be a multitude of reasons for that I think it's very important to also allow those spaces for people especially trans people to connect and go well I really relate to that because I have these conversations I see myself in that and so to me she is a trans character or she's a trans coded character and equally there might be people who go oh I read Dusa not as trans but maybe I interpret her as having some kind of body dysmorphia that's an equally valid interpretation and all of these you know some of them are more canon some of them are less canon but we can all provide space for our multitude of different interpretations of these types of diversity and all of them are equally valid equally interesting and really important yeah definitely very well said to wrap up this section of our discussion we wanted to also quickly touch on the racial diversity that's on display in the game. This has been much talked about, but Greek mythology, as we know, as anyone who's familiar with it knows, is very much about white guys, <laughs> just super duper white across the board. And it was nice to see super giant games inject some melanin into the cast. We've already discussed how. Patroclus is a dark-skinned character in the game, but there are other examples as well. Many of the gods, Athena, Ares, Hermes, Dionysus, all characters who traditionally in the source material in Greek mythology or in Greek art are represented as white-skinned gods, white-skinned characters. And Supergiant Games decided that uh, they didn't have to be. Yeah, I think Again, another reason why I think so many people were attracted to playing Hades of going, okay, well, yeah, that's just source material, but that doesn't mean that we have to subscribe to that source material. We can have different interpretations. And I think, especially with something like racial diversity in Hades, there have been a number of really amazing articles that have been written by various people across various different publications, which look at the relationship between ancient Greece and different places like the North of Africa, Asia, and so are framing this diversity, racial diversity within Hades of going, well, actually, it would make a lot of sense that there are black characters that there are potentially south asian characters or east asian characters because ancient greece was in conversation and in interactions with those areas not all of those people were white yeah i personally as (laughs) a brown guy was very glad to see that a lot of these gods that i've grown up reading about and learning about as white characters were racially diverse. Mm. I appreciated the fact that someone like Dionysus looked kind of like me. Not only was it simply just a refreshing take, but I think it was also a modernization of a very old Greek myth and Greek tradition. 
And I think in instances like this, it is important to do that. As you said earlier, it's important for people to see themselves in these characters, and particularly in these gods. These gods are, in many ways, ideals, right? Both in the lore, both in Greek myth, these gods represent some kind of ideal. And the ideal is not just white dudes. <laughs> yeah, I think that is such a, yeah, that's such an amazing point in terms of how, like, what are the ideals that are people pointing towards? And what are we saying? Well, this is the, this is the peak. This is who is attractive and how people should look. And I think yeah. once we kind of come back after the ad break, we are going to be looking a little bit more at how, while Supergiant has done, honestly, a really excellent job. Like, I really don't want to underplay that because I think you can right. tell from this conversation, like, how important some of this representation has been for both of us and yeah. how much of an impact it has had. There are still some slight areas where Supergiant is still communicating particular kinds of ideals specifically related to things like body type and disability. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, let's take a, another short break here. But don't go anywhere, dear listener, because when we come back, we are going to touch on some of the limits of this representation in Hades and some of the areas where Supergiant games could have gone a little further. So we'll be right back. So welcome back from the ad break. We're glad that you stuck with us <laughs> for this long. <laughs> um, but yeah, this part of the episode where we're going to be touching on limits of representation, I think is a really important aspect of this conversation that we didn't want to miss out and we really wanted to make sure that we had some time for. Again, because I think within Hades, some of these things can kind of be a little bit hard to pick up on. And there were certain right. things that I didn't recognize or I wasn't aware of when I was playing the game. And once I became aware of it, I was like, huh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. So we're just yeah. going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to discuss some of the shortcomings that we have kind of noticed or that others have also pointed out within the game. For sure. And, and the two main ones we want to focus on are this lack of representation of body types and this lack of representation of disability. And to start with, I... Didn't realize this until researching this episode, but now I can't stop noticing it. There are basically no fat characters mm. in Hades, to, to be blunt about it. I think the only, from our research, the only depiction of fatness that, that I found was an enemy type, the Wretched Lout. And in the codex for the Wretched Lout, it's described as having been, quote, reduced to merely their most base of negative impulses these damnable wretches do their part to help uphold the underworld's cruel reputation end quote mm. and that's a tough look i mean the only representation of a larger body type in this game and it is literally an enemy 
called The Wretched Lout. And the description is, oh, these are souls who have just succumbed to their most base negative impulses, right? It's very much connecting this line of, oh, if you look like this, or if your body is shaped a certain way or a certain size, then you must be succumbing to something negative, right? Or that it is negative, mm-hmm. or that it even is your fault that you look like this. Like, you could have avoided this if you hadn't, you know, succumbed to your most base of negative impulses, as the Codex says. Yeah, and I think especially where we've talked about other forms of representation, is like, super giant have been, I think, have shown quite a good awareness and care around a lot of the other forms of diversity. And so when I came across this, I was just like, wow, that's actually incredibly shitty. And the fact that you showed so much care around all of these other areas, how on earth did you not notice that? Right. Once you notice it, it's like a glaring issue Mm. and you can't stop noticing it. I actually, after I saw this quote about the wretched louds, I was like, wait, wait, uh, hold on. I'm going to look up the characters. There's no way. And I looked up every single major character in the game. And all of them, at least all the gods, are either these like broad-shouldered, six-pack-having hunks, or they're curvy and slender and skinny, and basically like they look like the body types you'd see photoshopped onto magazine covers. This like very rigid, very boxed-in, traditional, quote-unquote, beautiful, attractive, sexualized body type. You could also chalk this up as, oh, well, they're gods, right? Like, of course, a god is going to have a six pack or of course, a god is going to have sexy curves. They're gods. Yeah, they're supposed to look like this. And that's just not an argument that resonates with me because, I mean, come on, like Dionysus, the god of wine and leisure. You're telling me that guy got washboard abs by just drinking and napping all day. Like, it, it is just, of course, like this generic representation of what has always been traditionally considered sexy or beautiful Mm. Uh, and we don't see different body types among these gods which is disappointing yeah and i think to link that back to your really amazing point earlier about like ideals is that firstly if you're saying like god these gods are the ideals then you're saying that everyone should have this ideal to look like that, to have washboard abs or be really thin or to be really, you know, thin but curvy in the right places. Also with heavy scare quote marks. Um, Right, right. Instead of recognizing that all of these body types are attractive, all of them, you know, one is not better than the other. Yeah. You know, and I know people who would describe themselves as being, you know, fat and they can run marathons. You know, why not have Hermes as a fat person? Yeah. You know, there are lots of places where they could have done something really interesting. And I think, you know, if people are going to go back to that argument of, oh, yeah, well, it's depicting the ideals of ancient Greece, 
then there are also, you know, people can use those arguments to say, oh, well, the ideal in ancient Greece was to be like olive skinned, for example, and that's why we shouldn't have black people in it. Like, I think it's a very slippery slope to start right. making that argument instead of just going, yeah, they fucked up. And actually, <laughs> they should have done better. Yeah, yes, 100%. And then the other example that we've had and that we wanted to look at a little bit was also disability. And again, this is such a missed opportunity when we considered that there were characters already in Greek mythology with disabilities. <laughs> so right. even when we're looking at it from the point of like, wow, that was a missed opportunity with like different body types. It's like with these examples of disability, it's almost like they looked at the source material and went, nah, <laughs> we're going to not use that. Um, and the most, the most obvious example is actually... Again, pronunciation, you're going to pronounce things differently. Hephaestus, who, mm -hmm. according to Britannica, quote, was born, and again, I'm going to say the term, but put very big scare quotes on this. So they've put, was born lame and was cast from heaven in disgust by his mother, Hera, and again, by his father's use after a family quarrel, end quote. So Hephaestus was brought back from exile and is a incredibly renowned blacksmith. Like Hephaestus is the one that all the gods go to, and they're like, "Yeah, I want some sick thunderbolts, <laughs> or I want this amazing, like you know, trident right. or something." And Hephaestus is like, "Yeah, no worries, I can make that." He yeah. makes the best stuff for all of the gods. So we would assume, like, hey, it makes sense to have this incredible blacksmith in the game. But instead, when we have the little weapon upgrades, it said that those upgrades are done by Daedalus and not Hephaestus. Right. And I think, yeah, to have a disabled character who is actually like the pinnacle as well of his craft to be taken out and replaced by a different character, to me was even even playing it before I considered the disability angle, when I got to the weapons upgrade bit, I was like, why is it Daedalus? Like, what about Hephaestus? Where did he go? Yeah. I remember having the same exact thought because I didn't even know who Daedalus was when I first started playing Hades. It actually wasn't until I read another great Madeline Miller book, Circe, that I learned who Daedalus was. But back then, I knew who Hephaestus was just from Greek mythology, and I was very confused why Hephaestus just is not in the game at all. Seems like a huge missed opportunity to add another form of representation in this game that it is lacking. Because again, like with the body types, when you start realizing, oh, wait a second, there's like no disability in this game at all. And the one opportunity they seemingly had on a silver platter, they didn't take, which is a bit of a tough look. Yeah. And I think, again, like where I've said before, Supergiant have shown such insight into particular things and such care around the way that they included other kinds of, even, even when we're talking about Deusa and the way that that romance was handled, I think was very 
carefully done. And then to see them miss opportunities like this, especially with the disability one, it just makes me pause a little bit and go, why was that conversation not had? Why was that opportunity for representation missed out? Yeah, for sure. And actually, this kind of segues us nicely into our wrap up for today's discussion. I thought it would be interesting for you and I, Avery, to maybe discuss what lessons other developers or even other creators, other artists could take from the way Supergiant Games tackled Greek mythology. Like as we've discussed throughout today's episode, there were some big wins in their diversity and inclusion and representation. And then there were some shortcomings as well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is really important to me because I think this is part of a conversation I really love having and try to encourage people to think about more is in terms of diversity and representation, like it's not a tick box exercise and you need to really embed that diversity and representation into your game in multiple levels. And I think as we've touched upon throughout the episode, like Supergiant have really done that in a lot of ways. You know, with that gender diversity, with that relationship diversity, having the codex entries and the observations and the character design and all of these things, it's really embedded within the entire game, across the entire game. Because this is a long game, but it's so well done. And I think it's really worth, you know, developers writers, anyone kind of involved in world building in this way to actually, one, make sure that you have a diverse team across multiple different like diverse identities, and two, that you are checking in with different communities, you're making sure that you're playtesting the game, because I do think that, you know, with the limits that we've touched upon, these things should have been caught a lot earlier and it makes me wonder why they weren't so i think yeah we need to be thinking about this a lot more holistically and really including people in the conversation at multiple different times and also hades is a fantastic example of how you can get representation so right on so many levels Truly, but you are still going to make mistakes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I think, honestly, in addition to what you said, another big takeaway for me is that there aren't any excuses, right? Mm. Like we've mentioned it throughout our conversation today, but the source material is very different than the direction that Supergiant Games took it. And they could have fallen back on the source material excuse, right? Oh, well, so-and-so character is always represented as white, so we can't change their race, et cetera, et cetera. This is how it's been in the source material when we can't change the original source material. We have to, quote-unquote, honor the original text. I think Supergiant Games showed us here that uh, you don't. And in fact, you can honor the original text while also including representations of different races and sexualities and gender identities. I think Supergiant Games has done a fantastic job of walking that line where this is still very much Greek myth. It cannot be mistaken for anything else, but it has been updated 
to show all of these things we've discussed today. And that's a big takeaway and a big lesson for me, having played Hades, is that th- this to me is an example of, of walking that line of honoring a source material in an adaptation, but also updating it in a way where it speaks to more modern sensibilities and more modern conversations. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at law underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.